Welcome to the WrestleMania edition of the Nifty Show. Uh, I'm Killer Com, and there's Killer Com too. Hey Zach, oh, I didn't, I didn't think up a better wrestling meme than that. If you had given me like 15 seconds, I, I probably would have had something. Go ahead, come. You, no. you could think of it while I tell everybody that um, okay, this is going to be a super fun uh, gaming edition of the Nifty Show that goes back to our first love, the one that really sucked us into the world of nfts and that is the wax blockchain and the uh, wax blockchain has made big moves into the gaming space made a lot of noise with wrestlemania they have a property called the blockchain brawlers zach what would your blockchain brawler name be zach the crusher kong oh that's good i like that i like that that's really good uh, so here's how serious wax has gotten about gaming they now have a uh, chief gaming officer that's how serious they've gotten his name is mike and michael rubinelli not mike and that'd be a weird name mike and <laughs> we're gonna call him michael rubinelli michael welcome to the nifty show Thank you. It's great to be here. You know, it's it's funny to hear you do that voice. Reminds me of the Macho Man. I don't know if that's what you're going for, but he's a real kind of love of ours. And we have a couple of inside jokes uh, in, in Blockchain Brawlers, kind of a tip of the cap to, to the Macho Man himself. And so if people pay attention to kind of the assets, everything's intentional. There's a lot of tongue in cheek stuff done. And it just shows our kind of love of creative tied to our love of, 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 the, of the WWE superstars and their history. Of course, you're talking about Randy Macho Man Camacha, <laughs> the Macho Man. So the macho man, yes. uh, let's let's get a little bit of your background because you mm -hmm. come from the gaming world, right? Mm -hmm. I do. So I'm I'm really kind of uh, a dyed in the wool gamer first and foremost, and I lived a life as a kid, you know, kind of a you know a son to a to a 35 year teacher who told me to stop playing those GD video games and you can never make any money at it. And how dare you? And your, your brain is rotting and it's the downfall society and all that stuff. And I just always felt a passion for sort of gaming and creativity and storytelling and, and connecting with my friends through kind of like-minded, you, you know, things that appeal to us. And so I found my way in uh, kind of in the early nineties to a company called electronic arts and worked my way up the ladder there and went on to, you know, build a lot of great products over a long period of time on every single console uh, under the sun. And it's been a tremendous, tremendous career. So, you know, working at, you know, Disney and EA and Capcom and THQ and Take-Two and the likes. When you've been in the business as long as I have, your, your resume's pretty full with, you know, all the various uh, or all the usual suspects, so to speak. But I've had, I've, I've lived a charmed life. I don't know that I've actually felt like I've ever worked a day in my life. So that, that makes it really, really easy to do. Zach, I know you've got a brilliant question pegged up, but I just have to say I got my start on the Internet in 1995 and mm. my first website, worldvillage.com, which still exists to this day, turns 27 wow. in a month or so, wow. um, but it doesn't do what it used to do. It was originally a software review site. So, you really? know, Zach will recount for you how, you know, when he was a very small child, boxes would show up at our door regularly with all kinds of games and all of those brands that you mentioned, I'm yeah. sure that I reviewed and received and played games that were under, you know, your watch at some point. Yeah, prob probably so. It's, it's funny, you know, you know, like you, I, before I actually did it as a corporate job, it was a side hustle of mine. And I worked my way into the world of buying wholesale 
and had a kind of a quote unquote company set up. And so I got to buy all my favorite games and I'd rent them out at local video stores to pay for them. So I just wanted a way to play any game I wanted to for free. And that was really kind of my comeuppance when I'm, you know, 19, 20 years old, I'm out there just hustling, you know, playing every game, every game system, every, everything just to feed my habit of just the love of gaming. And it turned it into a career. So that, that was my, that was my excuse as well. Right. If I review <laughs> yeah. software, then I can right. get it for free. Right. Okay. Zach, your question. Good, sir. Yeah. I want to know what your, your favorite title that you were, you were associated with is before oh, wow. you entered the blockchain world. You know, there, there, there's a lot for a lot of reasons. Um, I will, I'll give you three. So I think that kind of most recently, if you look at Marvel Avengers Alliance, which is ironically is a Facebook game, and it's something I'm super proud of. We had gotten the license at a company called Playdom. I worked at Playdom. I was at SCP Studio Operations. And we had gotten the license to the whole kind of Marvel canon uh, back in 2010. And they're just like, Facebook, whatever. Like, they literally licensed it to us for next to nothing. And they're like, you know, whatever. And, you know, everybody in my company was a bunch of kind of, you know, analytics-based people. It was all science. It was all, you know, what does the telemetry and, you know, the BI tell you? And, you know, here's the audience on Facebook. It's kind of middle-aged women. It's kind of middle America. It's Farmville. It's, you know, it's software toys. It's not games. And why would you go out and get a really kind of what we call blue, not pink, right? A really blue license, you know, for kind of males 18 to 34, uh, kind of action brand, like it makes zero sense. And I'm like, look, I think that we can build a really compelling experience. And we know the players are on Facebook. They just don't have anything to do other than, you know, post pictures of their family, their vacation, their kids, whatever. But we know there's Marvel fans on this platform. So we should build a really compelling game there. And it's like, it's never going to work. And I had 18 months of it's never going to work told to me every day by everybody in the company. Fortunately, those people didn't have any decision-making kind of power. And, you know, we built uh, just a beautiful product and it was so unbelievably fun. It was a JRPG style uh, game where it kind of turn based combat, build your roster, you know, upgrade your characters, skins, the whole nine, like really kind of well-known tropes from the classic gaming world brought to Facebook. And for a free to play game, it generated, I think, north of $350 million life to date. Um, and it was just tremendously fun. And I love it because it sort of showed my potentially... Um, you know, disproportionate belief that if you build a great, if you build great content where there is an audience, they will find that product and they will support it and they will play it and it will be, it will find its place in kind of gaming history. And that's really, you know, kind of one that really stands out as kind of almost two years of people saying it'll never work to, oh my God, you know, thank you. And, you know, this is, this is amazing. And really we kind of set, I think that game set the trend for mid-core games becoming a thing on Facebook and, 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 and mobile, right? Mid-core was never a term you heard before 2009. It was all hardcore gaming or casual. There was never quote unquote mid-core. And so this was a very mid-core product. And I think it really kind of defined the genres. That's one. Two is, you know, I think if I look back at the early days of John Madden football, which I, which I ran for several years, you know, the inclusion of the NFL and NFLPA license in that first year uh, in, in Madden 94 really set the tone, um, you know, for kind of, you know, name, image, likeness rights, you know, branded activations, uh, really trying to build something that's super immersive. Again, you know, the, the really weird story in somewhat of a massive dice roll, if you will, for us as a company was we had signed the NFL NFL PA license like five days before we were supposed to go gold master. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, next year when we come out, you know, we'll have all the names and the, and the logos and it'll be great. The NFL shield will be there. It'll be wonderful. We said, you know, it's just art and it's just data. 
you know, in a, in a CSV file, like certainly we can import these names. Like we have the rights now. Why would you? Well, you're going to, you know, you're going to submit in, you know, a, a handful of days. And what if something terribly goes wrong? It's like, let's roll the dice. Let's take that chance. Like we believe in our team. We feel like we can get this through the, the, the system without any kind of, you know, flags, without anything being wrong. And sure, if we did, that kind of changed the face. We think of kind of, you know, sports gaming, which is kind of the early precursor for esports, if you will. Um, you know, kind of that head-to-head play and really being competitive around gaming. And that's obviously now branched off into all kinds of other quote-unquote categories for esports. That was two. And then three, it's going to seem um, it's going to seem a little bit uh, potentially unusual. Is that you know I'm really really proud. Uh, of a game called Red Faction, which is a game that THQ put out. And THQ at the time was this company that took really old licenses on platforms that hadn't been in vogue for five years. And I published a game for kind of at launch at the Sony PlayStation 2. And people like, this is so not THQ. and really kind of changed their whole trajectory, right? So it was all about, well, oh yeah, THQ, that company puts out these really old games. And now we have Red Faction, which is a first person shooter built by a company called Volition. And they were just an incredible group. Uh, in Champaign, Illinois. And we got sort of THQ to be thought of completely differently with that one singular title. Like the whole, you know, the whole kind of, you know, prospects of the company changed off of that one game. So it was really super exciting. What so was it called? It was called Red Faction. Well, Red Faction. Zach, you know that one, right? Um, yeah, I, I think that that was the precursor to Red Faction Guerrilla, which was yep. an absolute masterpiece. So you sort of yeah. kicked off something incredible. With that, yeah. with that particular franchise. But we are here to talk about blockchain games. You're here to talk about blockchain brawlers. So tell, tell us what that is. So blockchain brawlers is Wax's first product in the market for kind of the play and own or play to earn space. And really what you do is you collect your brawler NFTs. You can buy them on a secondary market. You can buy them in a pack when they're available. Or you can craft them if you have the resources to do so. And then you bring them into the ring. And and you brawl. And when you brawl, you earn a currency. You earn uh, a brawl, which is our token, and you own the chance to get a gold NFT drop. And those are the things that drive the current mining phase. And then as soon as the mining phase is complete, we'll roll out a PvP phase. And the PvP phase will be a wrestling-themed card game designed by Richard Garfield, creator of Magic Gathering. Hmm. So I'm I'm looking here. There's uh, there's brawl. Yeah auction and also yeah. like if you go to atomic <laughs> hub and we go to the marketplace i'm sure brawlers are going to be yep right up at the top brawlers, yep. and then series one I'm, I'm afraid you have to go series one series one here we go is the most so there's, those are the common brawlers they're the great ones the so scotty white eye yeah you gotta go and yeah there so yeah. so you can get in that's the that's the lowest price starting asset that you can get currently okay and there's about 6,000 of those guys uh, that we have had crafted, but you'll only find about 50 on the market. So they're highly coveted and they perform really well for players. And there's a great backstory to Scotty. And there's this whole meme kind of culture that surrounds him. And he's really, the, it was very intentional that we wanted to create a life outside of just this click farming or click mining kind of event. Like we want to give brawlers a world, like a brawler verse, if you will. And so all these guys have backstories. In fact, one of our early Scotty owners created a Scotty Wide Eye Twitter account. He's got a bunch of followers and he does memes every day. It's like it's taking on a life of its own. Our community is so good at this kind of thing. We just kind of set them up. We throw them a bunch of slow curves and they just crush it out of the park. So it's really a fun community and a fun gaming experience to be a part of. As people kind of build their rosters, getting ready for this big PvP event, which is really where the deep and meaningful gameplay starts. This is a a real pivot for Wax as as an organization Mm -hmm. because up until this point, uh, Wax was very focused on helping bring other brands 
yeah. right? And and I think the team has realized, you know what, we can create internally some epic stuff and, and you know, become a studio. And that clearly this is, uh, you know, your, your shot into that. Um, and it seems like the chain is responding very favorably. You know, I love the use of the word epic. You know, we actually look at ourselves like Sony or like Epic or like Unity or like any other group that has a platform, right? And we want people to embrace our platform, we want them to embrace our technology. And the best way to do that is to show them what's possible. And so when we roll out blockchain brawlers and we show that we have really low CPU usage rates, it's super responsive, it's beautiful UI, it's unbelievably colorful characters, it's a thriving community, and it's on its way towards this journey towards being a deep and meaningful game. Like we think that paradigm We've had tremendous success so far, and we continue to look to build on that success and kind of further set the bar really, really high to show people kind of, you know, what should, you know, be considered a great play to earn game. And look, I think it's super important to us because nobody in the space currently will tell you this is the North Star. This is how you build it. This is what you build. And so, you know, a lot of us are figuring it out on the fly because we're so compelled by the cause of creating a player to player economy or a participation economy, as we sometimes call it, like it's super, super important. Like that's the world we're going to live in in three, four, five years. And so the sooner we start to, you know, learn and, and fail and get that scar tissue and progress, what are the, you know, the better off we'll be. Can you clue us in at all to how the card game is going to play out? I think that this is the first time I've ever heard of a wrestling themed card game. <laughs> It's a great question, and I don't. I'll, full disclosure: I don't have a hundred percent of the answers, but I have ninety percent of the answers. And that last ten percent really matters. Like, you know, how do the NFTs going to come into play, and what's it going to do for gameplay? And on and on. I will tell you at its core. So the really, so so we've been talking to Richard for the better part of kind of you know ninety to one hundred and twenty days. And we, the initial thought was, hey, I know, let's just build you know Magic the Gathering, and instead of you know you know death and decay and pestilence and you know, sort of the five color decks that they have there. Let's just map it to kind of the five rarities of Brawler, legendary, epic, un, uh, epic, uh, rare, uncommon, and common. He said, great, that'll take about three years. I'm like, wait, why? He's like, you don't understand how complicated trading card games are. Like just the balance phase alone of Magic took me almost two years just to balance it. Once I had the cards designed, once I had the game rules and set, just to get that balance right, to make sure that there was no exploits. Like it's a really, really involved thing. And he's got a PhD in mathematics. He's one of the smartest kind of systems designers you'll ever meet. And so if he said magic with its five color deck initially took him almost two years to kind of to balance, I'm like, yeah, okay, um, great. What else can we do? He's like, well, I have this other idea that I've been working on for the better part of kind of 10 to 12 months. It's a single deck, so it's not as hard to balance, but it's got deep and meaningful choices. It's got interesting strategic play kind of built in. And he said, I actually think it's incredibly fun. It's incredibly fast. It's super high risk. It's super high reward. And, you know, it's akin to kind of Texas Hold'em or Guts. If you've ever played Guts, um, in college or w- with your friends where there's a massive pile of money in the middle and you kind of holding your cards, whether you're in or you're not. And if you're in, you're basically match the pot if you lose kind of thing. And so we're taking some of our cues from, you know, those style games where there's rounds <clears throat> playing, there's who has a better hand, there's things like that that kind of make sense. And as it relates to wrestling, interestingly enough, is that we are going to have things that we think that, you know, results of the actual round will tie to kind of animations of the game um, that will have, uh, you know, kind of play out in in real time. And, um, you know, things like, as an example, I I think the easiest way to think about it is like, if you win the match, you know, you get to pull off a finishing move of your choice, so to speak, right? So whether you're a... Finish him. Right, exactly. Whether you're a big DDT person, the people's elbow, the pedigree... 
you know, side suplex, like w- whatever you like to do, you know, the, the Macho Man and Ricky Steamboat do the flying elbow off the top rope, like whatever your finishing move of choice is, you know, the ability to kind of utilize that and really make it feel like as the match is progressing, you're seeing this back and forth in the ring while you're playing round after round. The rounds go really quickly. And so it's really quick paced and it's it's a lot of snap judgments. Um, and then that'll map to animations in the ring. There is a there's a whole kind of line of thinking, well, how do your brawlers that you're collecting and you're working with today, how are they going to help you win? You know, we haven't that's the part we haven't quite figured out. But the game itself is, you know, it's playing your cards, but it's also playing your man. You know, are you are you aggressive? Are you going to bluff? Are you going to fold? Are you going to kind of keep your you get more power the next round? So there's actually back a little bit. It's a really, really interesting quickly and succinctly um, in an interview such as this. But I will tell you that when it goes live, we'll have a free play kind of practice mode area. Mm-hmm. You'll come in and just try it out. We'll have a tutorial that explains how it works. <clears throat> and it really is interesting. And it's like nothing anybody else has ever played before. So we look forward to getting a ton of people in and, and playing. I, I feel like, uh, you know, Zach is really big on um, making fun play to earn games like yeah. F. PTE, I think, should be a, a new yeah. thing because, uh, look, the ones who got early to the space that made games that you can earn some sort of crypto, you show up, you click once an hour or whatever, and you get some crypto. I mean, not really a game, but gamification. This looks like it could actually be fun. Yeah, look, it, it, you know, you bring up a great point, and it's really kind of core to who we are. So as a, as a gamer, I appreciate the gamification of decentralized finance, which is what you're effectively talking about. And there is joy in progression. Oh, I'm earning more of a currency. I'm upgrading my facilities. I'm upgrading my tools. Like those are very gaming kind of centric tropes that we all know is like, oh, I'm moving forward. Therefore, I feel good. Therefore, I'm winning. You know, it's, and that's how I think you kind of couch it. But, you know, to be clear, you know, the audience that most all these PWE games have today are these gamblers and speculators, right? They're these crypto enthusiasts. They're not classic gamers because a classic gamer will come in and say, wait, I have to spend how much and what do I do? And then what's the upside? And then we don't talk to them in a language they know, right? We say, oh, you have to, you know, buy an NFT on the secondary market and then you have to deposit it into your wallet and then you have to withdraw it. And then there is, you know, block emissions and there is, you know, exchange rates. And then you have to buy and sell currencies on centralized exchanges or decentralized exchanges. And if you've ever used a decentralized exchange like Alcor, like right away, there's just so many kind of areas that people can kind of churn out. And our stated goal has always made it to be that when you come into our world, we speak language that you're used to. Uh, we, we have you play a game that is maybe not super familiar, but it's not unfamiliar either. Right. It's like, oh, yeah, it's just PVP. It's head head. It's a card game. You know, I bet I, I fold. I bluff. I do this. I do that. I go all in. I do, you know, all, like opposed to I'm mining and I'm farming and I'm blending and I'm doing all these things on you know, websites outside of our core URL. Like it's, it, there's a lot of kind of, you know, unsettling things that I think are just enough friction for people to go, eh, I don't, I don't want to wait in yet. So we think that, you know, building a really kind of compelling fun to play game and going after that audience and going and speaking their language saying, look, come play this game. It's a game we have, it's, it's esports. We're going to do live streaming. We're going to put it on TV. We're going to have big prize pools. We're going to have leaderboards. We're going to have all these things you're used to. It just happens to have some blockchain technology at, at its foundation. It sounds like to summarize what, what you just said there, that the key you think to attracting what you call classical gamers mm-hmm. into this space and welcoming them into this economy 
is to build a game that happens to be integrated with blockchain. Right. Yeah, look, I, I think the thing that th there's two really important lessons that I've learned. And, um, you know, one is the paradigm that exists today, 99 and a half percent of the things that you run into in, in this world. Condition players to care about one thing, and that's making money. And that's it. Like, that's what they have been trained to look for. And so when, as an example, when we were launching, people were like, well, where's your tokenomics report? And where's your white paper? And where's your this? And where's your that? It's like, well, why do you need to know that? Because we've been conditioned to ask for these things. Well, if I showed you a tokenomics report, do you know what you're actually looking at? Like if we actually get into block emissions and deflationary measures and all these things, you're like, no, but I've been trained to ask for this. So therefore I'm going to ask for it. It's like, well, what do you want to know? Well, like, I want to know token distribution. Like, okay, what do you want to know about token distribution? Well, how much is going to you? How much is going to the team? How much is going to early investors? Like, we're wax. We actually don't need to do an ICO or an IDO or an IEO or IGO. Like, we're well-funded. Like, 80% of the tokens are going to go to the players, and 20% are going to go for kind of, you know, user acquisition, marketing, promotions. Like, but nobody else does it. Why are you doing it that way? Like, or all of a sudden, like, there's, like, this distrust. It's like, we're a billion-dollar company. We don't have to do a, a fundraise, right? We have the money. We're building a product, and we're going to give you – kind of a lion's share of those things. Like, like there's a lack of trust was really kind of interesting. That's one. Um, but, you know, through through kind of, you know, building credibility and authenticity and being really consistent in channel and being very visible, I've undocked myself from day one. Like, all those things matter. Like, look me up. I'm not hiding from anybody. I People try to social engineer me all the time. It just kind of comes with the territory. You have to be smart. You have to be safe. And that's a concern for folks. But the other thing I think that's really, really important to, to keep in mind is that if everybody shows up, to the exact same place for the exact same reason, takes the exact same action and has the exact same ROI, then it becomes this optimized race to the bottom. And that can't scale and that's not any fun. And people go, gee, I wonder why every single project has kind of mooned and then cratered or hasn't even maybe mooned, it's just cratered. Like, that's why. Like, you have to have meaningful utility and you have to give people deep and interesting gameplay choices so they stick around more for more than an ROI. Right. They absolutely want to come and play and utilize the things that they own and have massive utility and then do things like, oh, you know, I I'm progressing. I'm sharing with my friends. I'm trading. I'm getting them to play with me like I, I'm, I'm part of the community now. So it's just like, you know, I won't do it unless you pay me Like is effectively which is what people are saying. And so I'm doxing you right now, by the way. There you go. Fun. There's look at all these games that yeah. you had a, a role in. I'm like, yeah. holy cow built a lot in, of things over my career including a lot, a lot of rest you know i see wrestling yeah. games in here this is not your first uh, time in the ring i see you know, wrestlemania wwf raw yep uh yeah yep. some incredible developers in japan built those games when i was at thq and i'm a huge wrestling fan like you know starting with the kind of the wwe in the mid 80s or actually as a kid in st louis the nwa back then in like kind of like late 70s early 80s and then WWE in 85. And I was such a fan of it. So when I got to THQ and got to, you know, meet and work with The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H and all these people, like, it's great when you meet your heroes and they turn out that they're really good people. They really are invested in seeing you succeed because they know that, you know, that's their role and responsibility. It's just, it's super, super compelling. And it's, um, yeah, I've, like I said, you look at that list, you realize why I think I haven't really worked a day in my life. I've got to do a lot of incredible things that most people only dream of. And that, that's all super cool. I, I want to pull it one step back um, because mm. you you put out a gem that I don't think might have. It, there, there's a gem that we can condense there. 
and, and share with everybody because you were talking about how the conditioning of the play to earn space has caused players to expect a set of things, but they don't even really know what the practical use of those expectations right. is. They just right. are desperate to right. know that they can have confidence in a buying decision. Yeah. And you don't need to establish that trust because as you said, you, you, you're representing this huge, well-established company. But mm -hmm. one of the reasons why Wax has become successful is because so many of these other play to earn firms have launched on Wax because it's easy, mm -hmm. because the price points for NFTs tend to be very accessible for, yeah. for casual collectors and investors, et cetera. Yep. It, it sounds like what they can take away, what we can take away from that statement mm -hmm. is that we need to find a way to get straight to the heart of building trust with our audiences yeah. in whatever capacity that may be. And it's not necessarily about fulfilling the conditioning, but just easing the minds of people who may or may not be looking at spending wax on these projects. Yeah, look, and you know, I, I think the thing that I learned that maybe I underestimated is we were very visible. We're a very high profile company. I'm a very high profile person. I've been doing kind of two to three interviews a week for three or four months, just trying to get the message out of we're here for the next five years. And the behaviors of the players is they came into our game. They started mining this currency that had a really good value and they started selling it instantly. I'm like, wait a minute, we're here long term and you're selling it right away. Like, right, because we never know when you're going to crater. It's like, what do you mean? It's like, I've been involved in 10 projects the last, you know, kind of 10 months and they've all cratered. So I'm going to get while I can, while your token is on there. I'm like, yeah, but if everybody sells all the time, like, and we've always pitched, you know, you know, we think about this many, many years. We think about it like an RPG that you kind of invest in and you're, it's always part of your life. And we're always trying to give you story and competitions and leaderboards and building community and like all these things that kind of speak to kind of, you know, building equity and, and having this long range vision. But everybody is so myopic in how they play this. It's, it's something that I don't think that I was fully prepared for. And until you, and we had a really robust roadmap. This is, look, the next 12 months, here are big, meaningful, juicy features that we're committed to building. They're like, great, I'm selling right away. But like, well, wait, why? Because because you never know when this whole thing is going to go south. It's like, right. They've but been conditioned. Right. They've been programmed. So really uh, something unusual, fellas. Um, I actually have to go because I have to drive to San Juan and have a dentist do things to my face. But you guys are having such a great discussion. I'm going to let you continue, Zach, and just wrap when uh, when you're ready here. And Michael, it's great to meet you. Pleasure. I Thank hate you. that I have to leave you to go to the dentist. That is you know, <laughs> the worst thing ever. But you guys carry on. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So let's lean into this this line of, of conversation, mm. um, especially because of the accessibility with which people can build play to earn projects on Wax. Mm -hmm. What advice do you think that you would give to other people that are trying to build these pro projects, trying to build side tokens and attract players into a play to earn economy? Yeah, I think it's really simple. And, and if I were to go back and rewrite history, I wouldn't have locked, I would not have launched blockchain brawlers uh, until we had PVP in, right? Like you have to show them kind of, you know, more ways to kind of be successful in terms of token utility and things of that nature. And the thing that, the other thing that I, I, I tell people all the time is that you want to attract a traditional gaming audience. There's no doubt about it because there's 3 billion of them in the world. And there is no doubt in my mind that this is where we are going. Like, you, you know, a lot of companies are building a bulwark around these business models that exist today that are completely indefensible in the face of full ownership of assets, which is really what players want. Like that is such a powerful sea change and it's coming. Um, 
So if you know that and you want to embrace the real gamer, you have to give them something better than what they're doing today. And what a lot of people say, you hear people talk about, well, it's relatively good. Like, what do you mean? It's like, well, amongst all the other blockchain games, it's relatively good. It's like, no, you need to be objectively good. You need to be objectively great, in fact, right? Like, you know, I'm playing, you know, Clash Royale and this game and that game and Raid Shadow Legends. If I had a game that was as much fun as those, but I happen to own all my assets, I would dump those games in a second. Because with Clash Royale, I have six years of owning nothing. It's just all outflow into the developer's bank account. But I have, a ton, I have a ton of assets in that game that I do not use anymore. And I have no value for. I have no reason to, to use them. They're not in vogue. And if I could, you know, put them up in the secondary market or if I could give them to a friend of mine, say, hey, come play with me and I'll save you literally two years of grinding. I would love to do that, but I can't. But I would absolutely love that. And then I would feel like my free time, like, and this is the really most important part, is your free time is the most valuable commodity you have in your life. So are you spending it on things that validate your use of free time? And, you know, most classic games aren't because when they sunset the game or they shut down the servers, all you have is memories and potentially friendships you built. You don't actually have any assets tied to that experience. And so it's always a little bit of a risk reward. But if you want to get those real influx of true gamers, give them something that's objectively fun to play. Start with that premise and then work backwards to the NFT, right? Start at the customer and work backwards to the technology. That's the, that's the piece of advice I would give to people. Yeah, you know, I, I got to put out a huge self-report there because I own over 4,000 games on Steam and nothing terrifies me more than knowing that I don't <laughs> actually own the games. I own licenses to access. Yes, you do. Right. And it's it could all true. go up like that. Right. Uh, well, listen, Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on to discuss uh, games, your history with games and blockchain brawlers and where the play-to-earn space is going. We always... Uh, end an episode of the Nifty Show with three words where you emphatically and enthusiastically say, keep it nifty. So are you ready to close that out for us? Keep it nifty? Keep it nifty! Looking into there the future, what do we see? It's lined with digital collectibles, we call them NFTs. Games, trading cards, digital art, and those crypto kitties. Joel and Zach are the hosts you'll know. Joel and Zach say this will blow. They're locked and loaded, so ready, set, go. It's the Nifty. Really kind of spiffy. The Nifty.